Welcome back, boys. Um, this is episode 12 of the Top Bin Talks podcast presented to you by FTF Canada. Shout out FTF. Uh, today, we have a different um, interview, but at the same time, still staying within the realms of soccer within Canada soccer. Um, this is Richard Bucciarelli, um, one of the most scholastically reviewed uh, people I've ever met. Um, my personal in my personal trainer in the off season for the past what three years now two two three years now. Yep. Um, also a friend, and I'm just gonna read off his accomplishments because man, this is a lot. PhD nice. PhD candidate uh, in kinesiology, CSCS, CSEP, CEP, USSFA <laughs> is a and he's a professional fitness coach, sports scientist, a coach educator. An owner of Soccer Fitness Incorporated, he works specifically with soccer, soccer-specific strength and conditioning, and he has worked at some of the highest levels within Canada and CPL, and uh, United States, the USL, with Toronto FC Academy, and in the Uruguayan Second Division. Um, he was most recently with Halifax Wanderers, who now it has another fellow Canadian, Patrice. Um, at, at the at the helm um he's doing a separate phd wow in human health and nutritional sciences with a specialty in biomechanics of speed and acceleration training and for soccer players damn i'm gonna keep going oh he has pre- i'm that gonna keep going no no, no 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 that's not it uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> he has presented his research at some of the world's largest and most prestigious soccer specific sports science and coaching conferences including the World Congress on Science and Football, the World Conference on Science and Soccer, the National Soccer Coaching Convention, the Ontario Soccer Summit, and the Futsal Canada Conference. Right now, he holds certifications for Sport for Life Movement Preparation Instructor, FIFA 11 Plus uh, Instructor, Ontario Soccer Learning Facilitator, he works as a professor of exercise science and physiology at George Brown College in Toronto, provides coaching education for Ontario Soccer, Canada Soccer, and the National Soccer Coaches Association of Canada, and has had over 50 of his articles oh. published in research journals, books, and soccer magazines. I think that was the best one because I did oh, not know right. any of that. I, uh, <laughs> so to okay. round of applause. Sure. For the, for the, for the audience. Uh, I, I want to just, um, and I, I have to apologize, Tommy. I might have sent you an older document. So uh, right now I, I'm actually at the, the uh, I'm not at George Brown anymore. I'm at the University of Guelph Humber. And uh, maybe we can get into it, but I, I, I don't work anymore with Ontario soccer or Canada soccer. And perhaps we can discuss that a little. Uh, but uh, thank 100%. you, man. And uh, I, it's, it's too much. I need to cut some of the things off my. Why? My, Why? If, my if you resume. got it, if you if, if you got it, you got to let it show, man. If you got yeah. it, you got to let it show. Um, right. Fair enough. For, for those who don't know, um, I met Richard about three years ago. Obviously, I met you through actually a close friend. Um, yeah. He told me about your um, facility that you have in uh, Vaughn Sportsplex at the back. A lot of people people wouldn't know unless they are frequent goers of uh Vaughn Sportsplex but you've helped me in the past two three years reach my as as much as I can my physical uh perform to get my physical performance levels ready for the preseason I haven't had any complaints I've been fit for the past couple three years yeah, last three years sure. and we've solely focused on 
obviously the biomechanics of my sprinting, um, strength component, the explosive component, and the fitness component. Um, and obviously, I don't know if I ever told you, but thank you. Um, oh. I really appreciate you giving me a place to Gary for offseason, especially in the cold winters in Toronto. He doesn't. He, Adam has no idea how it is. So uh, yeah, he's yeah, in the West Coast. He's just in the West Coast, relaxing. Yeah, it's well, snowing here. Hey, it's th- snowing. Th- it's not the same you. snow. Yeah, and 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 Tommy, no. thank you, man, for you know for for all your hard work, and, and you know it's it's my honor to work with professional, hardworking athletes, and and so you're and you're one of the top. So, so thank, thank you, you, thank <laughs> you. All right. So to start, first question is going to be um um. Those who know you, obviously, you've been around the sport for a long time, but can you give us a background of, like, how you got your passion for the game of football? Sure. So, um, long story short, but, you know, I was, uh, uh, I'm a child of Italian immigrants and, and uh, grew up in Toronto and, you know, my, my family was into soccer. So, we, I actually have a twin brother, uh, you know, we, we played at a young age and, and I, not, you didn't tell me, you didn't no, tell me that. I, yeah, we never, I never told you, but yeah. So, so, you know, we played whatever house league and this and that, and eventually rep. And, and I was a, a, you know, a, a decent player. I was a, I was a good athlete, a, a good runner and, and a decent player. I played uh, at, in university at, at York. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know you mentioned Patrice, he and I were actually mm-hmm. teammates uh, at York. That's the, so you know how, how, how mm-hmm. old I am. And, 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 and Bobby, who, you know, as well, was your coach at Hamilton was also a teammate of mine at York. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a small world a little bit, but, you know, I, I, I played in university and, and uh, for a couple of years in the, in the CPSL, uh, the Canadian Professional Soccer League. This is way before you know, uh, TFC and all that. And I, as I said, I, I wasn't really you know, good enough uh, to, to do anything as a player, but, but I was always very passionate about the game. And uh, at the time I, I was at York studying kinesiology and I was also coaching uh, like a lot of uh, young, especially the people that, you know, the guys that play on the university teams a lot of times. You, you get invited to go coach. Uh, and at the time, our, our head coach at York was a technical director at the Kleinberg Soccer Club. So he brought me and some other people in there to coach. And so essentially I was, you know, I was studying sports science. I was playing, I was coaching. And, you know, when, when you have a kinesiology degree, uh, you don't necessarily have like a direct career. There's many, some people go into medicine or physiotherapy or, you know, other you know, teaching, whatever. And, and for me, I kind of thought, well, you know, maybe I'll, I'll try my hand at, uh, fitness training for soccer I was coaching kids and, and some of the parents uh, uh, saw they knew that uh, I was a fitness uh, coach and a personal trainer and and they saw some of the workouts that I was doing uh, after coaching and they said oh you know maybe will you train my son and I said sure so I started training a couple of these kids from the team then some other coaches from the club saw and then they offered uh, if I would train their team and so by the time I graduated with the, with my undergraduate degree I had this little part-time business and uh, mm-hmm. I, at the time, like we're talking 2003, uh, literally uh, 20 years ago. And so at that time, um, I uh, basically, you know, there were some companies that were doing dry land training, they called it for hockey. So fitness mm-hmm. companies, uh, which mm-hmm. were training, you know, hockey players off the ice and they call that dry land, but there was no such thing in soccer. So mm-hmm. I was obviously very aware that players needed fitness. I could see that a lot of them weren't getting it from know clubs or whatever environment they were in so i decided to start my company and i called it soccer fitness and uh you know uh, basically i was I, I made it, yeah i started a business doing fitness training for soccer and 
eventually lots of other you know opportunities and things came out of that i started to to coach and to be a fitness coach uh first with my school york where i was a player uh, eventually with some other universities eventually got connected with the provincial program from there the women's national teams program from there tfc and you know eventually some other uh, you know professional clubs i know you kind of listed them so mm-hmm. i've had sort of a long winding road to get to you know where i am now but uh, yeah, I, I started, I guess, like probably like a lot of other coaches and anyone else, you know, I, I played the game. I always loved it and, and still do try to kick around here and there when I can. And to me, this career was sort of like the next best thing to being a professional player. And mm-hmm. as I said, I wasn't good enough to do that. So, so this was the next best uh, option for me. But. Wow. I mean, you went through the whole journey and uh, that's a yeah. perfect synopsis of how that's so I guess that's the perfect synopsis of like your journey going back to the York University thing now it makes so much sense why Vaughn and Sigma have a beef <laughs> like not to, to think that Bobby and Patrice yeah. and all these guys played against each other now this all the dots are connected yeah I never, yeah I never oh. thought the dots will connect going through you see like this is stuff I've, I've never known um small world um yeah. As you, as you know, obviously, me being a, a pro right now and Adam going through uh, high levels in college and obviously when he was at Vancouver, Seattle, um, yeah. you know you know, kids in general that we don't like fitness. Like, yeah, yeah. But what, what, how do you make fitness more engaging for t- mm. today's generation? Like, what's the importance of speed training, weight training, and – and fitness obviously soccer is mostly running a lot of people don't understand like i think i've seen a stat where uh, chavi chavi hernandez someone who's on the ball in barcelona is probably on the ball around five ten minutes if you look at his clips because of how how much the ball rest of the time you're running jumping sprinting you know what i mean moving walking yeah so like and the game's an hour and a half so an hour and 20 minutes that you don't even have the ball so how do you make it more engaging for guys such as myself because i Till this day, I still hate, I hate, I don't like fitness. When, when someone tells you get on the line, there's no ball, yeah. but like, yeah. you're not, you're not enjoying it. But like, how do you make it more engaging for kids to be like, Hey, I know you don't like it, but this is what you need and how you make them accept like that this so, is part of the. Right. Profession. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great question. And I'll give two parts to the answer. So the first is um, everybody involved in the game, coaches, fitness coaches, and players. It's very important for everyone to understand that, that the game itself and, and the training on the pitch is a form of exercise and therefore is and can be a form of fitness. And this is, you know, it may sound like common sense, but um, often, you know, there is this thought that fitness for soccer needs to be done, you know, in a gym or, or whatever and not on the field. I don't want to sound like a hypocrite because, you know, I have a mm-hmm. facility and we do lots of mm-hmm. training in the gym and I'll talk about that. But first, I want to say that you know, one of the limitations that we have here in Canada, and it's unique here, and it's because of the, you know, the, the low quality of our coach education, is that we don't demand of our coaches to learn enough about fitness and sports science, even at the higher levels of the licensing. This is unique to Canada. So, and, 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 and it's, it's two things. First of all, in most other countries, coaches who go through the licensing, typically, if they're not a high-level professional, there's someone who starts with a sports science degree or a kinesiology degree. It's very common. I know, I mean, I've been many countries. I, I, you know, I've studied a bit in Portugal and I've been to Uruguay. I've been kind of all over the world. And, and so it's very common that most people who get into coaching start from a sports science background or, you know, they were a very high level player. 
if they were a high level player, they were exposed to very good coaching and training. But mm -hmm. in any case, they have that background and the licensing has a sports science component and it's very demanding. So that in those other countries develops a culture around and an understanding that, that, that you can build fitness in the game and through training, using training exercises, small sided games, et cetera. So we don't do a good job of that in Canada. And so like what you said, Kwame, it's very common. You, know, you say, yeah, I don't like fitness. I don't, you know, it's not fun. If there's no ball, it's not, you know, motivating mm -hmm. and all that. Of course, that's true. So that's mm -hmm. why a significant component of fitness training for all soccer players, and I say from the young all the way to the professional, must be done within the training session. And coaches need to be taught how to do it. And they can be. I mean, I created mm -hmm. a course and, and you know, for, for about two, three years, I taught the course on my own. For about another five or six years, I taught it both on my own and through Ontario soccer. And again, you mm -hmm. know, there was a little falling out, which perhaps we can talk about later. But mm -hmm. my course is called the Soccer Fitness Trainers Course and is designed mm -hmm. to teach coaches how to do fitness on the field. So that's the first thing. It's much more fun. It's much more engaging. And you get excellent results when you can build fitness on the pitch. Now, that being said, the second answer there are certain things that you cannot do on a soccer field and you need a gym and you need equipment for some simple examples. The first would be resistance. Mm -hmm. So to really get stronger, you need to, yeah. you know, you need to move your muscles against heavy resistance, squats, bench press, these types of exercises. You don't get that on the field. Mm -hmm. So there's a certain, you know, those exercises you need to be in a gym to do. As you know, in my facility, we've really been kind of specialized more in speed. And, and, and part of that is this, these high-speed treadmills and also mm -hmm. treadmills that don't have motors where there's resistance. And so what that does compared to what you can do on the field, when you're on the field, all you can do when you're running is run as fast as you can. And mm -hmm. I can tell you, even in a full 90-minute professional game, most players never reach their maximum never I, right? know, you know, I, I, I know i know yeah, that i know that yeah because because you have to run for 30 40 meters straight and you know mm -hmm. so maybe if you play on the wing and it's a counterattack or something mm -hmm. you might do it but even if you do it's once or twice and in training mm -hmm. it's rare right because you don't mm -hmm. really train all of so so the idea is that players don't sprint a lot in training and in games and even if they do it's only a few times so uh to to develop speed and those qualities often you know you need equipment and technology and stuff that forces you to run a, a bit faster and so so my my answer is first you build fitness on the field and mm -hmm. second you look at the qualities that you need the extra equipment to do and you educate mm -hmm. players and you say look hey you don't like it fair enough but you know what you're a professional and mm -hmm. the reality is that that you know uh, uh being a professional sometimes requires doing things that you don't like you might not like 100%. you know going to bed at 9 30 10 o'clock every day you might not like I, i'm in right? bed yeah. at that time I, yeah <laughs> you, know, you, you might not like the fact that if you go with your friends that are not you know footballers and you know they can whatever drink and eat whatever they want mm -hmm. and you have to be careful with things and you know so all of it right so 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 there are sacrifices and and and, and in the end you know we make it fun on the field as much as we can but in mm -hmm. the end there's also a sacrifice and the higher the level the more sacrifices have to be made and the truth is that most of the players that are more successful I can say at the professional level that I've worked with, those are, the, they're good, but they also have a more professional attitude. And that includes a, a willingness to sacrifice. So I hope that answers the question. Yeah. yeah I mean, that, that, one, of the, one of the things that I would say too, like when I work with my sprint coach, um, Richard, we might bring him on later. Yeah. Sure. Uh, and in a future one, which would be cool to kind of get someone else's opinion. But the one thing that I found, especially with, with regarding like sprint training, 
the one thing that I, I mean, I was someone who, if Kwame hates fitness, it was like my worst enemy. <laughs> like worst I enemy. hated it. I like, yeah. you know, a standard Cooper test. I could, I hated it. It's just like, I, I'd get bored. All that stuff. The thing I found with sprint training was the variability in it though, where yeah. it's, you're doing sprint stuff, whether it's on a treadmill, there's on a field, the lifting aspect of it, you're doing like the variability of the type of fitness I found way more impactful and intriguing about it rather than great run for eight minutes. Cause that just seems like it, it, it's, it's, it's a newer, it's a newer type of fitness. So I'll mm-hmm. tell you, it's interesting you say that because, so you mentioned two things. You mentioned the, the Cooper test, which is a, you know, it's a test of aerobic fitness, but it's continuous, right? You just, you know, run for 12 minutes and the maximum distance. Mm-hmm. And, and in, in the end, more or less the, the soccer players that can do more distance on that test are probably the fitter ones, but it's not relevant to the game and neither is training in that way, which, you know, continuous training. And, and that's sort of old school like that. I know I'm older mm-hmm. than you guys, but like back in the day, the, a lot of the training for soccer would have resembled almost the same type of training you would do as a middle distance runner. And as I said, I, I was a pretty good 800 meter runner. So that was kind of, you know, I, I did a lot of that kind of training and, you know, I had a background in that, but um, uh, it, it, the the thing to keep in mind with both testing and training in the game is that uh, it has to be specific and relevant to the game. So the new tests and the most popular one, uh, which I use all the time, and then probably a lot of the, the more, um, you know, uh, uh, recent uh, fitness coaches and coaches use is the yo-yo test. And it's not fun either. It's not like it's a fun test, but the yo-yo test ha- has a period of fast running and then a rest period. Mm-hmm. And so that looks a lot more like soccer. There's a fast run and then a rest and, and it's intermittent. And then the test is actually literally called the, the yo-yo intermittent yeah. recovery test. So it has that yeah. word in it. So the testing needs to look like that. And, and those tests are actually more valid. So uh, even some of the work that I've done, when you use GPS and you measure how much running players do in a game, that test, the yo-yo test is the best predictor of how much fast running a player can do in a game. And it makes sense because mm-hmm. it's more specific. Training... Mm-hmm also should look like that. So, you know, I, I rebranded my company to speed training mainly because we started working along with soccer with other athletes, but the training that we do essentially looks the same way. We make them sprint or do a very fast run, never more than about 20 seconds and often only four or five seconds at a time. Then we rest and then we sprint again. So that looks exactly like the kind of running that you do in the game. The testing also looks like what you do in the game. It's more relevant. It's more specific. And in the end, that speaks to the importance also of using the game to train fitness because no matter what we do in the lab, we can never replicate exactly what you do. In the, game. the only way to do that is by playing the game. So, Yeah. And, and, and I'll just say one more thing. I really love how you talked about educating the coaches side of it because I remember same thing. Every single time it was fitness, it was like, oh, it's like all you're just basically told the basics as a player. Yeah. Like if you can run more, you can last longer, you'll be better and you can play better. But the fit specific fitness you were doing, you weren't actually told as to why it would, why that was important. And that's what I found when I got to sprint training, whether it was you're in the gym and sometimes it was like, it, it, you know, it'd be my third workout of the day, but it was because this one was specifically to test my body to a point where now my body's used to being tested that. So if I go in a game and it's late, my body's used to being tested now when that's when you get injured is when your body's not used to a specific level of resistance or a specific level of force. And then it happens. So it was like, it was going through this re-education thing as a, as a player, I was like, this makes total sense. And this, like, it was almost having like a newfound appreciation for going in the gym. 
right and yep. going and doing this specific training because you, you you you're you're being told like this is why you want to do it and if that doesn't turn a light bulb for a player then well nothing really is going to yeah and i would say that that you know uh, there's no way that you, you as a player or any player is going to get that information if the coach doesn't have it and so mm -hmm. and I, I honestly like i I don't blame coaches because the truth is that, you know, coach, like if you grow up here and you, and you get into, you know, becoming a coach, you take the courses that, that you have, yeah. the, you know, and you go through the pathway and it, you know, you have to go there under the assumption that you're getting good information. The best. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I don't believe that they are getting good information, especially when it comes to the physical side of things. And, mm -hmm. and, and I, I, I'll go even beyond that. And I'll say, it's not really even what I believe. I know mm -hmm. because I've, worked first of all i've done licensing in the united states so i you know i have, I have an a license there so i you know, I, I know exactly what the curriculum is over there uh, i worked as i said in uruguay and, and i was able to sit in on, on on some of the a license courses that my uh, head coach rafael carvajal who uh, you know uh, he was taking those licenses at that time and through the work that i do especially the academic work i work with a lot of uh, you know uh, professors and sports scientists who are who are instructors in the licensing courses in Portugal and Italy and England. And, and the truth is that if you do a UEFA license, there are mandatory fitness components delivered by experts, PhDs, people that have worked with you know, national teams and professional clubs, and the coaches have to meet a standard. They have to take exams. They have to write papers. They don't have to be experts in the same way that you know, someone who studies it all the time and whatever. So they're not an expert, but they know enough that they could put together, let's say, for example, a periodization plan, a physical periodization, and do it properly, that they could develop training for speed or aerobic endurance or whatever in their practice and do it on their own. And mm -hmm. the reason I say this is so important, especially in Canada, is because almost all of the clubs, academies, whatever, that are working with young players do not have a fitness coach there more than once a week, which mm -hmm. means if the coach lacks the knowledge then there is nothing being imparted to the players. Mm -hmm. So, so and, and, I, yeah. I, I, I understand where you're coming from exactly. I mean, yeah. you, you get around different types of coaches. I've obviously been blessed to have with someone like Patrick Vieira, Bobby, and those guys yeah. who have done yeah. their licensing in overseas and stuff like that. Yeah. Personally, we've never had uh, a strength coach at Sigma. It was Bobby, like a strength fitness coach. But like right. he, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's in corporate. I, I, Sigma for how many years? Like six, seven years. I've never seen anyone get a major injury from how much we played. We played, we played four, we trained four times a week and played once once on the weekend, sometimes right. twice on right. the weekend. And like obviously, when you're younger, you're able to keep up that kind of motor because, like, I don't know, you, you haven't really done any harm to your body in general. <laughs> you have a lot of those. testosterone, you have not a, yeah. a lot of mileage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not a lot of mileage on your body. Yeah. So, like, yeah. I always tell people, I'm like, yeah, we didn't have a strength coach. And like, even when I was going to NYCFC, the person who ran our training sessions was the strength and conditioning coach. He will tell Patrick, no, that's enough. You'll tell Patrick. You'd be looking at the GPSs. Patrick would be like, oh, can we do one more rep? He'd be like, no. That's like, he had that clock to a perfection. We didn't. Yeah. The only thing was my first time, and all the professional teams I played for, the only team, surprisingly, that we did uh, fitness testing was Forge. We did the yo-yo. But the yo-yo, honestly, as much <laughs> as you hate that, like, if you just got to do it once, 
it's like, all right, like that's it's 10, 10 15 minutes. minutes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> let me get, let me knock it out the way. Like, yeah, I'm going to be exhausted. What's, but what's the minimum I'm, I need to hit? That was my mentality. Yeah. Like, oh, the minimum level. And, and we're going to train. Uh, we're going to train yeah. after this and then do a two a day because it's yeah. preseason. Minimum. Yeah. What's my minimum? Yeah. So, like, they'll give us the, yeah, they'll give us the minimum. And then, like, oh. we'll, like, some guys, like, when you hit the minimum, you're like, damn, I still got more in my legs. So you're like, okay, let me keep going until I get tired. But then, yeah. Obviously, it goes position position wise, right? Like more like Becker used to be really good at the the yo yo. I even though I hated it, I was always good at it. Yeah, but like, you have I a just, good engine. I just, yeah. I just I just I just hated the fact that I was running for no reason. There was no right. ball. But then once he put us in in a five v five or anything like that, because of the mental and the physical component, I think we throw away the mental component. Just think about the physical component when it comes to fitness, like when we're doing without the ball. So that yeah. makes us despise it a lot more. Where right. soccer, when you're playing five aside, like you might be exhausted, but you're like, damn, I can't get scored on. I can't look bad in front of the coach. I have to make sure I get this pass. So there's so much you're thinking so much that like you're forcing your body to go through these actions, even though you'll be more tired than if you were doing the yo-yo test. So yeah, it's funny because that I, mental side of it too, like that's what, that's like the one, that's like the only piece that you were, that at least I was ever told young, when I was younger about fitness is like, Oh, if you're tired in the 90th minute, like if you can get through this, this yeah. is where you're going to come up. And, and you're like hundred percent, like you understand that side of it. And I think yeah. like, again, the educational side, if you can blend it with that, where all of a sudden, you know, why you're doing the fitness, why it's mm -hmm. important for your body as the player, as well as understanding it's a mental test. Like your body can withstand it. Like hundred percent. You so can I, hold yeah. a plank for a minute. You can hold the plank for a minute. Like yeah. it's that mental side of it where it's just, it's not because your body can't do it. No one's going to like, mm. again, I think part of like the fitness industry where they get a bad rap is where they get, you see some of those stupid videos online mm. where they're doing a wall set with a plate on their lap and the coach is standing on top or something like, like that. <laughs> like unrealistic stuff. Like, yeah. it, but it's just like, it, they get stupid, sh stupid shit like that, where it's like, no, like that's not educating anyone. That's not actually showing the fit like what's your body capable of because that's the mental test is showing like your body is capable of doing this right so I, two things that you guys said that it kind of stuck out to me the first comment is that like and we'll talk about bobby and and so uh, and, and and just kind of that 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 idea of sigma not having a fitness coach so so bobby does have a, a kinesiology degree yeah right? no, okay. i know and, i know he does yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and 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 you know a uefa uh, uh i i don't know a license or maybe even pro so he, a, did, he yeah. did his education in europe and i know he started very young he started I, I, a year or two 20, he and i were 20 he age. said 20 he said 20 years old or something like that yeah like like, like like he and i graduated around the same time and i feel like he went mm -hmm. straight to greece first and then to mm -hmm. holland and anyway like mm -hmm. like so he's he was very ahead of the of, of the game in terms of uh, education and so not having a fitness coach yes fair enough but he's got enough knowledge that he can build fitness again on the field because it can be done. Yep. It's not so, so, so that's yep. him. Now that being said also, okay, you're talking about, you know, when you got to the pro level and all that, there's mm -hmm. conditioning coaches. And, and uh, so, so the truth is, first of all, there's not one right or wrong way to do it. Mm -hmm. In my course, I teach this, and this is maybe an interesting concept. It's not hard to follow, right? You can almost imagine mm -hmm. a continuum with specificity on one side and predictability mm -hmm. on the other. Okay. So you mm -hmm. can train anywhere on that continuum. If you want to train with specificity, that means as specific to soccer as possible, mm -hmm. you're going to lose the ability to predict mm -hmm. because soccer is random. So you put players in a small-sided game or whatever, right? It's very specific, but maybe 
as an example, a very talented player can hide in that game. And he mm -hmm. doesn't work as hard as the others. Maybe, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the work rate is mm -hmm. not the same for everybody. It's not predictable as much. Now, on the other mm -hmm. side, you can come to my facility and we can, you know, do a series yes, of right, treadmill sprints where we know, we know the speed, we know the incline, we can film you so we can correct mechanics, we can measure your heart rate, we can do, everything mm -hmm. is predictable. But then mm -hmm. you lose the specificity. So there's not a right and a wrong way to do it. There's many ways. Mm -hmm. Some people go a little more specific, less predictable, some the other. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's, it's, there's lots of different ways, you know, that, that are effective to build fitness. But it has to come down to knowledge. And so mm -hmm. there, there's, there's a knowledge gap with coaches mm -hmm. here. And so they don't get, you know, optimal training. And I know we can talk a little more about that. The, the yeah. other point, Adam, I think, and you guys both kind of touched on it, is, is, is the mental side of things. And so, so this is what I would say. A coach who knows what he's doing, or she, he or she, right? If they know what they're doing, okay, they should be able to get players to understand that there is a, a, a psychological benefit to hard physical training as well as a physical benefit, okay? And the truth is, sometimes that's also an advantage of doing work that's more predictable because you know, again, you know that you're working for a, whatever, a 30-second mm -hmm. interval at a certain heart rate, and you may never do that in a game. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But if you're physically capable of pushing through and doing something that's really, really demanding, then in those moments where you're very fatigued, in an, you know, in an extra time situation, in a, you know, a, a time where you're behind, you're down a goal, and you, have, you, know, you, you get a, a player sent off from a red card, in those moments... You know, a lot of times, if you look at the moments that decide the outcome of a game, maybe you can't measure it exactly, but often it's not because the player is too physically tired to step in and make a tackle or whatever. It's because their response to the fatigue is to give up mm -hmm. rather than to try to overcome it, because often your body is actually, you know, capable of doing more than you think it is. Mm -hmm. I've done this with that yo-yo test where we have a heart mm -hmm. rate monitor on every player and mm -hmm. we look at just as an example, if you get to your maximum heart rate, this is the highest heart rate you can be at. It's, you know, the intensity is very mm -hmm. high. Some players, when they get to their maximum heart rate, they stop right away. And others, even if they're less fit, they get to their maximum heart rate and they keep going for 30 seconds or whatever. Mm -hmm. And my opinion would be perhaps it's those ones that are willing to push through their maximum heart rate and can maintain, mm -hmm. even if they're not as fit, those ones might be the ones that you want more as a coach. Because when yeah. push, push comes, comes to, to shove, those are the ones mm -hmm. that maybe are going to perform a little better when they're really tired. So, yeah. Wow, man. I mean, that hit the nail on the head. I mean, for those that are going to be listening to this, I mean, I guess you're, gonna, you're able to put it in uh, terms where us as professionals, and I'm going I'm to give Adam the benefit of the doubt high level division yeah. <laughs> what division one division two uh, division one right d2 d2 but you guys were, you guys, yeah y'all should have been division one in the way y'all were smoking teams but hey uh <laughs> but um you guys are, you're giving us a different way to look at obviously fitness and things like that um and coaching is definitely something that definitely needs to change and we can touch touch base on that i know you've helped at the ontario so like soccer association canada soccer uh, Ottawa Fury, which is now Athletico Ottawa in the CPL, uh, Halifax. Um, how did how did working with those um, associations within Canada, knowing that what you know about the coaching, like how did it, like 
how did you react or how did you like get through those specific points in your in your journey? So that's a it's a good question. And and one of the things that I, I've just been very fortunate, honestly, that that even from back in my days as as a player at, at university, and I'll just start with that just because like uh in Canadian universities when I played, which is 1999 to 2004, I guess, um, almost all the schools, the coaches, and, you know, they were nice guys and whatever, but it was usually a faculty member. And it wasn't uh, just in soccer. Almost every varsity team was, you know, maybe they were knowledgeable or whatever, but they weren't like professional coaches. Mm -hmm. But at York, uh, we, so we had, I was very fortunate. I, I played for Bassam, who is the guy that runs the A&B Academy now. Okay, maybe yeah. A and B, you guys probably mm -hmm. played against him mm -hmm. and stuff. And, and he was a professional coach. You know, he had a UEFA A license. He actually had a Brazilian A license. Wow. And, and, and as I said, I had a twin brother that at the same time that I was at York played it on U of T. And, you know, U of T, mm -hmm. again, had more of the, you know, kind of the old school coach and nice guy. Mm -hmm. His name was Jim Lefkos and all that. But we would talk a lot of times about the training we were doing. And with us, we were doing, I thought, a very, very professional training methodology. It, it felt really, you know, it felt like something that would have been done in a professional or national team. And from there, I also played at York for, for Paul James. And Paul James was a former Canadian national team player. He played in the World Cup in 1986. He had, again, education outside of Canada, both in UEFA and, and in the United States. And so I was fortunate to be exposed to professional coaches, even as a player. And then when I worked, I know you mentioned some of those clubs. So mm -hmm. Ottawa Fury, I worked with a coach named Nikola Popovic, who was from Portugal. He actually had done the same UEFA uh, pro license as Jose Mourinho. So mm -hmm. this guy, again, had, you know, uh, he, was, he was actually using the tactical periodization model. So I really, you know, I learned quite a lot from him. And, and you know, he, he was uh, educated, again, outside of Canada. Um, if I think about uh, my time in Uruguay, I mean, I worked with Rafael Carvajal, who, who to me is one of the best coaches I've ever worked with. He's Uruguayan-Canadian, mm -hmm. but also, again, studied in the United States, studied in UEFA. He worked as the assistant coach for Benito mm -hmm. Floro, the men's national mm -hmm. team here in Canada. So it's like a lot of this knowledge transfer from, from really top European uh, uh, coach licensing programs. I was able to benefit from that in my career. Mm -hmm. Even in Halifax, I worked with Stephen Hart, who's an old friend and a good colleague. And, and you, know, uh, you know, from Trinidad has lots of experience mm -hmm. both with Canadian national team and the Trinidad national team. Stephen was a guy that really was used to that model though. And I know you mentioned it even with Patrick Vieira, where the fitness coach is an assistant coach and is often mm -hmm. the second in charge other than the head coach. And mm -hmm. that was the same way that it was with me in Ottawa with Nicola and the same mm -hmm. way that it was with me in Uruguay with, with Rafael. So this is another thing. We don't do that in Canada unless mm -hmm. we have a foreign coach that has that experience and comes from that culture. And mm -hmm. so I, you know, again, I benefited from, from, from the knowledge of all of these guys. And even in Halifax, we had an assistant coach that actually had a, an amazing background. He actually had, mm -hmm. had been a third assistant with, um, with uh, Rafa Benitez so he, he mm. was from Spain and he worked in China with Rafa Benitez and so it's like in the end a lot of times uh, like, like yes I worked with these Canadian clubs and all that but uh, the, the clubs themselves have actually benefited a lot from foreign knowledge mm -hmm. and foreign coaches and as has Bobby and you can see mm -hmm. the results yeah, I mean, I, I'll tell you one thing that, that I, I know I said this on another podcast last week is uh, Forge last year was the one club and every time we played them even in the preseason mm -hmm. where I was thinking like, man, like we, we can't compete with these guys. Like they, you know, I think you can look at the results. I think they mm -hmm. hit us four, one, one time, mm -hmm. you know, they scored five goals on us another game. And, you know, so it's like, like every other game was, was very close. We were very competitive mm -hmm. with Ottawa. We beat Pacific, 
you know, mm -hmm. over there in their field and stuff. So, so, so I think that even the, you know, the coaching knowledge and everything that, that, that a guy like Bobby has, has really translated. So I've benefited a lot from that. And I think our other coaches would benefit a lot from that too. So it's, it's crazy that you say that because you're saying that a lot of Canadian coaches had to go overseas to get these licenses. It kind of reminds me of like the Canadian player having to go overseas yeah. to, yes, get, exactly to get opportunity. Like, yeah. like how we had to go to college to get opportunity to play. Yeah. I never thought, I never thought it would be like that where Canadian coaches, because you always think about, Oh, Canada has a coaching licensing program. This not like you said, yeah. you would expect the coaches to get the best information available to them. Right. But they're kind of playing with the, with the cards that have been dealt. Right. Let me, let but, me, let me, let me, let me put it to you this way. Okay. Everywhere else in the world that I've been, and I'll list again, the United States, several countries in Europe and in Uruguay. And Uruguay, actually, they do the same license as Argentina. So I've seen quite a bit of, you know, some of the top countries in the world. Everywhere else, the people who are the instructors in the lower level up to the higher level licensing courses mm -hmm. are people that have experience at the top national team level as coaches, at the youth national team level as coaches, and in professional clubs. One, two, three. Okay. Canada is, as to my knowledge, the only country where the people who teach the coach licensing, not only do they not have that level of experience, some of them, including some of the people that are in leadership positions here in Ontario, have almost no coaching experience. This is unheard of anywhere else in the world. Okay. So it, it's the, to me, it's the equivalent, the equivalent of going to, let's say, for example, a medical school, right? You pay, you enroll, you expect top, you know, knowledge and knowledge translation and all that. And instead of the professors in the medical school being physicians with years of experience and all of it, they are beginners. Mm. They sometimes have a much lower level of experience than the students do. Okay. Mm. You would never go to a medical school with those instructors. You'd never go to a mm. law school where the professors in the school are not lawyers and don't have experience, but mm -hmm. that is exactly what we have here. So, wow. See, I, yeah, that, that, I guess it's, a, I guess it is equivalent, like how Canadian players, we didn't have the opportunity or have the best infrastructure to like, now we have the CPL God, thank, thank God. But before yeah. we had to go through college or guys had to go overseas and test like at a young age, you're like, okay, hey, I'm a, I'm a 16, 17 year old kid trying to make it at these top flight clubs. So, I mean, that that is our to me that is very surprising, and I think definitely is something that we definitely need to get better at, especially with the World Cup coming and the opportunity to go to the Copa America and all that stuff. All these new opportunities because of what we've done in the past couple of years as as players and as a fan base as a country. I think that that's, that's something that we definitely uh, need to work on. But obviously, we can go a lot more into this, but. From obviously from your long journey, from obviously playing in York University uh, to your st your studies and to giving all these conferences, all these um talks and lectures at these conferences, what are like five things that you think stood out to you the most? And to add to that, what are the things that you think have helped develop the game in Canada? Okay, yeah. So five things. So. I guess the first thing is, uh, I mean, I, I, it really opened my eyes the first time in my life, in my career, that I went to a, the, the World Congress on Science and Football. And so this was back in 2007. And 
you know, one of my best friends uh, who also was a graduate student, uh, you know, studying, uh, doing some research in, in soccer and all that, we decided to go. It was in Turkey, uh, in Antalya. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, this was like, so this Congress, uh, it's, it's done every four years in the year after the World Cup. And so it's the biggest yeah. soccer. It's actually science and football. So it has more than just soccer. They have even rugby mm. and even, um, you know, Australia rules football and Gaelic football mm. and even American football. They have all research from all those sports, but it's mostly soccer. And, uh, and, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, I mean, Marcello Lippi was the keynote speaker there. Italy had just won the World Cup and uh, Fatih okay. Terim was, was, uh, was, a, was a keynote speaker. I mean, there were just top guys, people from Chelsea and Juventus and all over. And so it, it was just um, that experience really opened my eyes to, to, to how much uh, uh, knowledge was, was available out there. Because, again, I decided to specialize in sports science, but I'm a soccer guy. So, mm -hmm. so, so these conferences were really awesome to me because they, they, they had lots of academics presenting research and all that, but they also had lots of coaches. So they were really bridging mm -hmm. the gap, you know, between science and, and, and practice on the field. That's what I've tried to do in my own career and, and with the courses that I teach because, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so, so the first thing, so it's like, okay, you know, the information, everything was, was really, really high level. I learned a lot and, and, and I made lots of great friends and connections there. And then the other thing that, that stood out to me, and I'll say this was 2007 and all the way up until, I mean, the last Congress that I went to was last year in Portugal. So we're talking mm -hmm. 2022, you know, 15 years or whatever that is. Or, okay. I'm the only person from Canada or myself and maybe a small group of only two or three of my friends and colleagues, the only ones ever from Canada that have attended any of these conferences. And I, I don't just attend. I mean, I've presented my research there and all that. We don't have anyone. We don't have any coaches that go. We don't have any other fitness coaches or sports scientists, even the ones that are, you know, the Canadians that are working with, you know, the professional, the national teams, whatever. Nobody's there. And yet, here's just one awesome example. So last year I was in Portugal. Now, you know, I, I know you guys know about Portugal as a football nation. You know, so they, they, they recently won a futsal World Cup. Mm -hmm. A few years before that, they won a European championship. Their women's team mm -hmm. has just qualified for the World Cup. So, they're, you know, they're kind of, you know, achieving mm -hmm. success at all levels. And they are much more successful relative to their population and their GDP as mm -hmm. lots of other, you know, they're, they're, they're competing with big European nations that have you know, mm -hmm. three times the population and maybe more. So anyway, so they're a successful nation, but they are so critical of themselves. You know, like they, they, they're trying to find every little advantage that they can with any type of research, GPS and performance analysis, uh, 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 match analysis, fitness, physiology, sports psychology. Mm -hmm. One guy there who is actually one of the physiologists with the whole national team program, he told me, he literally said this to me. He said that winning the European championship in 2016 was the worst thing that could have ever happened to Portugal. He said, because... All of a sudden, it made everybody think that they're the best. And then now they don't have to work as hard anymore in developing themselves. Mm. Imagine, like, and you're talking to a Canadian and you're saying that, right? It's like, mm. these guys are, are some of the best in the world, right? And they are critical of themselves. And yet, our supposedly top people, they can't even be bothered to attend these conferences. They're completely oblivious to it. Completely oblivious. So it's like, I don't know. I mean, I guess I know you told me five things, but I, yeah. maybe I'm stuck on two or three. But it's like, like, like there's just such a, such a gap between where we are and where we could be. 
And, you know, it's to be honest, as a, as a person who's worked in the game for so long, it's, it's very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the second part of your question again? I guess it was. Oh, I was, yeah, I was going to say, how did you, how have you seen that the game, how have you seen the game develop within Canada? Obviously, okay. physically, yeah. yeah, here, like back okay. in the day, I mean, I guess the CPSL it was more like a grown man's game, kind of like it was, <laughs> yeah. now you're seeing yeah. the game. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like rough. Like that's like any sport, like NBA yeah. in the 80s was rough and t- yeah. tough. But like now the game's getting younger, but these kids, there sometimes they come out like let's say for example Jordan Hamilton when he's a kid he's a physical specimen yeah but like yeah. some but they don't know and I'm not saying he doesn't but like they yeah. don't know the importance of strength and conditioning they just, yeah. they just have the raw talent and they go they go about it in their own way so like yeah, how have so you seen that development very good question and I, so I have two things that come to mind the first would be so we've definitely improved and, and, and we can see the results you know with a with a very talented group of men's players that you know qualified for a world cup and, and they did great right i honestly i thought they even did well in the tournament i, I i'm not one of these mm-hmm. guys that's like oh you know we lost i mean we we outperformed one of the best teams in the world and and then we lost to croatia like it's like of course we lost to croatia like, mm-hmm. anyway but so uh, so we can't and I, I can't be you know naive and pessimistic and say that 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 none of the changes that have happened over the last, you know, five, 10, 15 years in, in the game in Canada have, have had played a part in the success of, of the men's team and, and, and the women's team, which already was you know, good and lots of talent, but now are kind of breaking through, you know, with a gold medal and, you know, some, you know, perhaps we'll see what happens at this tournament, but, you know, um, in any case, things have improved. I think my, 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 my comment would be, Okay, so now we have the MLS academies. We have the CPL. We have now a new women's professional league. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not impressed at all with OPDL or anything, you know, the standards-based league or whatever they say mm-hmm. that there's standards. But you know, the, the truth is there, there are no mm-hmm. standards. And whatever standards they say there are, uh, are, are either literally don't exist at all or are not mm-hmm. being enforced. And nor are the people who are in charge uh, competent or capable of enforcing them. So... Mm-hmm there's an issue with the youth development, but, but overall the changes that have been made. And I think a lot of them, again, I mentioned MLS academies kind of about the higher level and options mm-hmm. being provided to Canadian players have benefited. So we've improved. I'm just not so sure that we've improved relative to the rest of the world at the same rate that the other countries have mm-hmm. improved. I'm very interested to see, because the women's game to me is very interesting. Like, you know, we want a gold medal. We've been very successful. Um, but our youth teams in the national program, they're not doing great. And, and some of them performance wise were a little better, you know, even 10 years ago. I mean, I, I know very mm-hmm. well because I was involved 10 years ago. And, mm-hmm. and so um, I, I'll be interested to see if the Europeans who are now developing the women's game more don't catch up and overtake us. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about some of them that are already you know, as good as we are or better, like France mm-hmm. and Germany, but maybe even, you know, the, Holland and Spain, Croatia, yeah. you know, that have a, a more professional culture and professional environment and better coach education yeah. and all that. So we've improved, but I don't believe we've improved as much as everyone else or relative to the improvement that everyone else has improved. Okay. And the second thing that I, I think you're absolutely right that, you know, one of the overcorrections that we've made, and I'll speak about it from two points, from the physical part, but also from the psychological part is we all probably could agree. Again, I know I'm older than you guys, but back in the day, there was a lot of, uh, we can just say, probably even abuse, coaches yelling, mm-hmm. screaming, swearing. That, you know, um, mm-hmm. The training was way too 
physically demanding. There was, you know, too many games, too many tournaments. It was, it was too much. Um, and, and, you know, uh, and then there's, you know, there's even other stuff with sexual mm -hmm. abuse with the women's game. And so there was a lot of problems, which, which mm -hmm. absolutely needed to be addressed. So I think it's like, we could have found sort of a, you know, a, a line, you know, beyond which we've addressed the problems. We've got rid of the coaches that really don't belong. We've educated coaches better. We've, you know, but we still have to be demanding of players. We, you know, we have to, we have to keep score. We have to keep standings. We have to reward to those who perform better. We have to, yeah, you know, we have to provide meaningful competition. We have to, we have to develop a strong work ethic. We have to develop discipline. We have to teach kids, especially that those that are talented, you know, to learn how to yeah, they got to work hard, right? Mm -hmm. To learn how to work hard, to learn, and and so what I'm saying is we've overcorrected. Okay, to the point where now it's like, you know, we, we, we go with this idea that, oh, if you want to develop, then you can't win games. I mean, I, I'm telling you, you go to Europe, you go anywhere else in the world, they would laugh at you if you said that. They would mm -hmm. say, no, 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 we want to develop, of course. We're not going to win at the expense of development, but we mm -hmm. want to be able to develop and develop people who can win. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, 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 and so there's, there's a psychological aspect to that, which I think, honestly, I think players today are becoming a little bit softer psychologically. Mm -hmm. They're not able to handle... Uh, uh, the the pressure criticism as much they're not able to handle criticism as much. You see a lot of entitlement among young players mm -hmm. that you know didn't exist. And I think th there's a happy medium, as I said. I don't think you know because mm -hmm. players you know they have to they have to uh, uh, be you know, demanding of, of a certain mm -hmm. standard. And I know there's there's disputes over pay and all that. Like I get that mm -hmm. they should do that, but there's a way that I think you could be reasonable about it. And mm -hmm. a lot of times now we have players and even a lot of the parents of young players who are very unreasonable we have a lot mm. of them in our business so i know how it is i mean they don't they don't even accept it if a coach is critical of their child they don't accept any you know everything has to be positive everything i don't think that that's beneficial psychologically in the long term because i think you lose a little bit of mental toughness and all of that physically now and again this is now i'm going way into my wheelhouse here okay mm -hmm. I've, i've and i've talked about this i've written articles about this I have a, 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 an article in the Canadian Journal of Strength and Conditioning, and it's also an article that I wrote for lots of other blogs and things called The Overtraining Myth. So here's, and tell me if you guys have heard this. Mm -hmm. There's more injuries in youth soccer now because players are doing too much, right? That's what they say. They're training yeah, too much. They're, they're overtraining. They're training less. They're training less. So not only are they training less than kids used to train before and getting less exercise than before, the training they are doing is of such a low intensity they couldn't possibly be overtraining. And I know that. I know that because I've tested over 10,000 youth soccer players and nobody is in shape. Nobody. Damn. So Damn. they can't be overtraining if they're not in shape. So mm -hmm. the injuries are not coming because of overtraining. The injuries are coming because of undertraining. And part of this is from the, you know, the coddling and all that. Part of it is from people, again, who don't have knowledge, but then they go and make rules. So they tell mm -hmm. the coaches, no, 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 eight years old, no more than three practices a week or no more than two practices and only 60 minutes. And this, it's like, listen, you can do, a, a, as you know, Kwame, you've done it. You can do a 20 minute workout in my facility and mm -hmm. it can be a very, very high load. You can be completely exhausted at the end of it. Or you could go and work with a coach that just talks all the time for two hours and mm -hmm. you had no training load at all. So coaches mm -hmm. need to understand training load and periodization. They mm -hmm. don't understand it because they're not taught because the licensing and everything is, is incompetent, okay? Mm -hmm. So they don't understand periodization, and what happens is the players are under-trained, and then when they have to go and play games, they're not ready. 
Mm-hmm. So they're not doing too much. They're doing too much too soon. If they were trained mm-hmm. properly and the load was increased gradually. Listen, there are lots of teenage athletes in other sports, swimming, gymnastics, track and field. I know, Adam, we talked mm-hmm. a little bit about that. Who are, who are, by the time they're teenagers, are getting to the point where they're training four or five or six hours a day. Mm-hmm. Well, like the craziest thing that you talk, like the craziest thing that you said there too, is especially like when we talk about the, you know, the not keeping score and all that stuff, like what's the most successful sport we have in this country? It's hockey. That's right. You're going to tell them to not keep score? Immediately. (laughs) And like, it's, and even, so even being in it now, like I'm in a youth role with my club here. The kids are keeping score. Like just saying that, just like not having a standing, they're telling their team it's six, nothing. Yeah. Like on the field, and don't get me wrong, like the coaches are going, guys, just no, hey, win this half. Who cares? We score six goals in the first half. Hey, second half, we got to win this. Like, that's kind of like the way the coaches have gone, which is great. But it's like, hey, we have this model that has been so successful, and we're not going to use it. A, it's it's insane. But then the second, so the second thing is, and I, I really like what you said, where you're like, we've definitely improved, but not at the rate of other of other nations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and for me, like, I think this is part of one of the constraints that we are forever going to have here, unfortunately, and it's a population and B the money side of it. Like if you look at like, and realistically the increase in what the MLS teams have done has been fantastic. That's subsidized by MLS though. Like those clubs have a valuation of half a billion, not because it can't, not because of any Canadian viewer. That is strictly because of U.S. soccer states. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's a huge part of that where it's amazing that, and again, that's why, that's why those players are at a different standard. There's yeah. a reason mm-hmm. for it. There's a reason why are, are those, are those clubs going to get it right? A thousand, are they going to bat a thousand? Never. They're no. never going to get it right. They're going to, they're going to slip through the cracks. That's why mm-hmm. CPL is so big. That's why you sports and the NCAA are so, so, so important still. Yeah. I, I, but so, and, and, yeah. the yeah. money side of it, where even we talk about, Again, like for me, like the person that I've grown up, that, who I've grown up with, and I, I still love when, whenever I get to have a session as, as an adult player, Dale Mitchell, coach national team, all these things. I don't think, and this is my honest opinion, how much money are the CSA going to have to pay him to go run those courses? Do they even have the money? So uh, this is like yeah. the, this is like the yeah. catch twenty two and like yeah. almost the flip side of it because I hundred percent agree with everything you're saying and it it's not taught properly. And I've get I, I've been hearing that and don't get me wrong I've been hearing this for years. Everyone yeah. who knows I hearing it for years. But the flip side of it is, who is actually going to teach it? And how much money are they going to get? And how much time do they have to invest and take away from other things if they don't? Like the money so, side of it, I think is so 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 key, and we can't. We have to kind of look at that as a constraint. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. You're you're right. But the education needs to get a lot better. Like yeah. that is the biggest gap. And again, for me on the European side of it, we look at the French, the French and the English who have just shot up out of nowhere. I don't think that's because of their federations. That's PSG funding it. That's the Man United's, the Arsenal's, okay. the Chelsea's, the cities. Yeah. Like they're the ones primarily funding that. And they've almost got away with it because they're, you know, they're all worth over a billion dollars and they're the ones kind of yeah. feeding their national team, which we're never going to have here. Like, Women's professionally, yeah. amazing. Oh my God, great step. That's not going to help solve that issue. It's yeah. painting over a crack. It's not fixing the foundation that we have right. to. Right. And that, like, it's the youth side of it that you talked about. That is the part that is the scariest. Yeah. Is going, so, there's a lot of countries catching up on the youth side. Yeah. And I want to comment because there's a few things you said that stood out to me. So the first is, you know, like 
again, if we had better coach education, then we would be able to develop coaches that can teach the children that they work with how to put winning and losing into its proper perspective. Because the whole ideology around, you know, not keeping score and all of that is simply uh, uh, like the, the tenet spare of, like, feelings. Like, no, yeah, yeah, it's about it's about making the <laughs> assumption, making the assumption that that if a kid loses too many games, they're gonna, uh, you know, they're gonna uh, not be able to handle it. They're gonna be, you know, they're gonna want to quit the sport. They're gonna no. If that's the reaction that kids have to losing, that is because the coach, the leadership, right, has not instilled in those kids the ability to put winning and losing into perspective. Okay. And I say winning and losing because we also don't want them to get, you know, an overinflated ego if they win, uh, you know, and that's, again, comes from better coach education. So we don't have that. You mentioned about, you know, how the kids already know and they keep score and all that. Right. So, so here's the thing. I, I just can't remember the author of the study, but it's a very famous psychological study, which is about praise and the kind of praise that you give to children. And it was done with very young children, kindergarten. So they took these children and they gave them tasks that they knew that were challenging, but they knew the children could do. And when the children completed the tasks, these are like four-year-old kids, right? Half of them were given the kind of praise where they were praised for their effort. And the other half were given the kind of praise where they were sort of told um, almost that they had some kind of an inherent um, gift, like, oh, you must be really smart, or you're, oh, you're, you know, you're a genius, you know, that kind of thing. So the type of praise, and this, this is directly applicable to coaching, right? Ultimately, in the long run, those children who were praised because of effort, they showed much better results on subsequent tests. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they developed, again, the perspective and the connection between if I work hard, if I push myself, that's how I get better. Whereas the others who were praised because of, you know, again, some, they almost made the assumption that they have some kind of genetic gift and and they're just superior, yeah. right? Those ones so when they fail, they okay. they don't. They, they were don't like, handle "Oh, it. damn! I'm not smart anymore." Uh, okay, so yeah. this is and, and guys, this study like this was from the 1990s. Okay, so we've known this for a very long time. Okay, you know, it's it's it, it's to me, it's it's like the just the wrong mentality. The well, it's money, funny that you say it. it's, yeah, it's from yeah. it's from the kindergartens, like that was in yep. the 90s, and then growing up, it was oh no, when you get a high school, you're get hit and then after that oh when you go to university you're gonna get yeah. like you're preparing and that, now it's like oh we're preparing you for after university and you're like it's yeah. so fucking late uh, yeah. how is someone <laughs> supposed to cope with life yeah when they're 22 yeah. if you haven't if you've just coddled them for 22 years and i throw but, but, them into competing to live well but why do you think why do you think like the best footballers in the world have come from like the toughest backgrounds I feel like when you just they had to be coping to with lose, that, man. they got nothing, they got to, lose. nothing to lose. They've always, they've always been rewarded based on their hard work or based on them not giving up. Well, In the other side of it addition, is with addition to their talent. To stay out of that though. Like they're yeah. spending all day somewhere to not mm. be around that. And that's kind yeah. of like, it's, it's funny. Like these, it's kind of the same thing. Cause like even looking strangely enough, like looking at the NBA now where you're like, Hey, they're mm -hmm. better athletes. Yeah. They have way better training yet guys are, pulling muscles more than they did in like the mm -hmm. 80s and 90s and i i read something i don't know how and again i'm not going to yeah. sit here and say that this is fat because i'm yeah. the last you gotta get you gotta get the that. chat you gotta get the chat but, um but it was it <laughs> part, part of it was what they found was young uh young kids now who are teenage basketball players they're playing on softer courts so it's not as hard all the time whereas yeah. when you when you look at like 
when you look at that group that came through through the 80s and 90s, they're on pavement and cement and all they did was play at that level. So like their bodies were used to certain stresses, whereas now with how physically stressful and and how much force you need to actually generate to play in the NBA now, training on these soft courses stuff doesn't cut it. It's it's and like it's, the it's, it's like the under training that I'm talking yeah, about. Right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's just not yeah. it's like, oh, we're trying to save your body. And yeah. it's it's based in science, but it's like it's the it's like that catch twenty two of going, okay, we're trying not to make sure that you have these you know arthritis in your knees from playing yeah. on pavement. Yeah. And yeah. being smacked down by older people. But like that's how those guys got to be like and and and, and there's a happy medium, as I said. I mean, you know, we we, we can we can look at what actually overtraining is and we can say yeah no yeah but but honestly guys like there are very very few footballers in the world who are overtrained okay one of my mm -hmm. best friends is the fitness coach with club america in mexico mm -hmm. which is one of the top clubs yeah, in different. mexico and north america right i mean mm -hmm. we talk a lot i mean he kind of laughs sometimes again the cpl is a great league it's so important for canadian players but the season is literally half the number of games that those mexican guys are getting half mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. we, we aren't going to compete long term. Like it, we, we did great this year, you know, uh, even outplayed the Mexicans. Fantastic, mm -hmm. right? But historically, it's like, you know, they're a tough competition for us. And mm -hmm. part of it is because they're coming up in that league. Mm -hmm. with better coaching, with better fitness training, with a mm -hmm. more, you know, a longer season, more games, more experience, mm -hmm. all of it, right? They're benefiting from all of that. And yeah, I mean, it's again, it's not um, uh, like we haven't improved. And, and again, I, I don't believe, I believe there is a happy medium, but, but I, I think we've really gone way too far over correcting. I want to comment on the money uh, side of it. And then actually it ties into even, you know, the, what Kwame, what you said about mm -hmm. players that are maybe, you know, coming from whether it's a disadvantaged background or a rough mm -hmm. background or whatever. So mm -hmm. there's an excellent book called Soccernomics. I don't know if you guys have seen this book or... Did you read it or I'm a, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a write it down? I haven't yeah, read. Yeah. I haven't read. So uh, I've, okay. I've read different excerpts. So, so yeah. So th these is. are not these are not my ideas. So I but, but it, it's yeah. Simon Cooper and uh, Stefan Szymanski are the guys that wrote it. So it's a, an economist, Szymanski, and a, and Simon Cooper, who's one of the most famous soccer journalists in the world. And you know, so it's really an awesome book. And 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 they you know they they do talk about um, so like the basic idea in, in the club game anyway is that mm -hmm. almost 90% of the variance in the league position, so what place your team finishes, almost 90% of it is predicted by player salaries in all of the top European leagues. So what does that mean? That means that when you have more money, you can buy better players, and when you buy better players, you win more. Mm -hmm. Now, take that argument into the staff and the coaching, and like you said about, uh, Adam, about, you know, ultimately – Okay, fine. There are budget constraints and there are, you know, whatever there are, right? Uh, fair enough. But at some point, whoever is the decision maker, I mean, look what we just did to the women's team. Mm -hmm. I mean, my gosh, we, we just cut funding right before the World Cup. I, like, I mean, it's like, okay, at some point, these people need That's to That's a great segue. That's a yeah, great yeah, segue. Yeah. No, because, <laughs> because, because, because if you invest in coaches and you hire better coaches and better coach educators, yes, you have to pay them more. You have to do that. But if you do, you're going to get a much better result. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I, I don't know what to say. Yeah, we can segue into that because that's. Uh, that's yeah, I mean, we, we, we talked about it. I think we talked about it on our, on our last podcast. And like for me, I don't I don't I don't like to really talk about situations that I'm not personally involved yeah. in. And yeah. it's kind of tough because it's every, everything's he says, she says. But 
I just wish that me and I think me and Anna came to the conclusion like I wish both sides can just get to the table and find a happy medium. Just like so there, it was announced. So it was announced today that they did sign an interim deal like they did with yeah. the men. So that's yeah. great. But it like, you know, I mean, it's interim. Painting over the cracks. Also, it, it's painting over the cracks again, man. And like, again, like part of the issue that I've seen again with all of this is I mean, even, even before that, like the, the women's trip to Brazil, like they needed private funding for it. Like, mm-hmm there's a huge issue with the money that's available right now. Like there's a massive my, issue with it. And so my question is, yeah, where is it like everyone? Cause I see, I think it was Janine Becky who commented saying like, Oh, we're talking, we're saying, Oh, there's no money. Like women's don't sell tickets or whatever this and that. And like people don't watch the games. Like if that's your only reason to say why um, we shouldn't get paid, then you're, like then you're insane like you're you're mad you're fucked up basically and i'm like you know what maybe she does have a point because i was harping on revenue and stuff like that but like order to, it's like almost like an investment in order to make money you have to spend money so if you want to so like to the put problem out is, a, do yeah. they have money though like if they if they've needed private funding to yeah. get the women on certain trips which has mm-hmm. come out rick west had wrote about yeah, that. Said that multiple trips now they've needed they need to go outside csa and go to private funding that's a fucking massive issue man like that yeah. i don't care who so, the president is that's a that is so, catastrophic so, so I, I would it say, comes down to the president yeah. who, who's a secretary who's a treasurer yeah. who's all those people and, that and, and and and, and the, the decision about how the money is being spent and, and again i mean i, I i'm not going to you know name names but um I'm not so sure that a lot of the people that are working in our provincial and national associations and are being paid quite well mm-hmm. uh, are there because they uh, really deserve it and, 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 and you know are are really or the they most care. competent or best person for the job. Nor do I think they care. So the money that we do have, I think, could be spent much better. And also, and again, this isn't me, right? Uh, you know, this is this is you know, uh, soccernomics, right? Okay. But basically, if we're going to talk about um, uh, revenue and, you know, the club game, is, it's very, very clear, okay? Almost all professional clubs, male and female, lose money. Almost all of them. Mm-hmm. There's, there's Manchester United and maybe some of the lower tier, but first, uh, like, top league, but lower tier top league European clubs mm-hmm. that have very good academies that develop players and sell them, make money. Mm-hmm. Everyone else loses, and mm-hmm. so essentially, and it's good that we don't have, you know, total financial equality or all of that, because if we did, then we'd never have, you know, like, like you said it, Adam, that, that, that France and all that has really benefited since PSG was purchased by these, you know, wealthy guys. Why? Mm-hmm. Because now there's more money in the French game. The, the young French players now get to test themselves against Neymar and Mbappe and, and those guys, and mm-hmm. it, it helps them. And so, so the idea is that, that you know, in the women's game, yeah, you know, they probably the revenue will never be what it is on the men's side, and but you know they, they're getting better and getting more fans mm-hmm. and all that. But it doesn't matter in the end if there were people who wanted to to invest because the guys that uh, you know the, the the millionaires and the big corporations that own the big clubs, the men's side, they're losing a ton of money, but they mm-hmm. want to be there because they want to go to the stadium. And mm-hmm. the experience and it's also it's also yeah, it's, it's, it's the yeah. valuation that it gives them, which allows them to borrow more. Yeah, like, yeah, it helps them. It, it raises it. their profile. Like, so, exactly. so, so, so if there were, you know, I think some people in the women's game need to take a chance and do that and invest. Mm-hmm. 
and they're going to lose money. But listen, guys, the, the people that own the CPL clubs are losing money. They're losing money. So, so, so this is beginning. Yeah. This, Richard, let me ask you this. All right. So yeah. uh, obviously, we all talk about this. We're losing money. We're losing money. Yeah. CSB is the only company that's jumped in <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and is losing hand over fist, yeah. right? Like they are. Yeah. Now we're based on the deal they have with the C- CSA. Everyone's yeah. saying we got to get them out, throw them out, all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The only co- the only people who have even remotely tried to invest in this country ever, yeah, yeah. like significantly, how, how like for any other investor who wants to come in, we talk about we need investment. We need if this goes through and we cut ties, say they goods X, all this stuff. What investors like? Do you think any other investor is going to want to jump in when you sit there and they go, "We just like we're going to invest hundreds of millions of dollars. We're going to lose yeah. fucking money, but yeah. we're putting in a clause where we can recoup some of our losses." Like, yeah, don't get that yeah. wrong. It, it it definitely yeah. binds and it ties the hand of the CSA, which again, I'm sure that they'd love to have some of that money back. I'm sure they would. Yeah, yeah, that's that's that. that's a that, that's a tough one for sure. And and honestly, like I I mean I I don't know the details of. The deal that they made and, and whatever I and mean, it's funny actually i was on a podcast last week and talking to john molinaro journalist and you know he was yeah. saying that that uh, you know the deal that was made and I, I mean i know this that it was made back in i guess 2018 or something when national team on the men's side wasn't you know was kind of struggling had just lost in the gold cup and you know the the uh, women's team hadn't re- really reached the, the success level that they had in the next last few years and so maybe they didn't really think ahead as much or whatever but i don't know you're right i I don't know but i would say perhaps if csb you know if that relationship is cut i don't know who's going to step in it might be worse you know it might be better to try to keep the csb but i don't know expand however they can i I don't know again you know i'm not an economist right but yeah it definitely it definitely sounds like a, a tough situation and obviously prayers to everyone all those involved because it's definitely tough for you to be a professional athlete at the top of your game yeah. and believe in your heart of hearts that like we deserve like there's a standard that we already we set like these girls mm-hmm. won two if you're christine sinclair what two bronze medalists and a gold medal like mm-hmm. you set a standard where it's like you are the best country or top three countries in this sport for 12 years essentially right so it's like okay or top let's say top six and it's like where do we need to be in order to get that same type of standard and i don't know if it's asking for equal pay but it's just asking for the the bare not even a minimum like just the standard has to be professional standards like what respect. the men get like i would i would, I would agree yeah, just the respect. Agree. Yeah. yeah 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 you know yeah. what i mean just the typical like if they need a charter flight, it shouldn't be a hassle for them to get a charter flight. If they need X, Y, like to go into uh, different tournaments, if they need to do like go different experience, you know what I mean? Like recovery, all that stuff. Anything that the men have that is supposed to be part of a professional structure, I think the women should have 110%. Like the interesting thing there too is again, this is, this is where I think we have to kind of understand it with our countries. Like whatever the men's standards are, that's their standard. Like yeah, with that's the standard doubt. across but the we board. Can't, we can't look at now, like this is the flip side of it though. And this is the harder part now, especially on, I think it's actually on both with, with more women now going to Europe and playing and, yeah. and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the facilities and things here aren't going to be the same as they are at Bayern Munich. They're not going to be the mm-hmm. same as Man United, like with Andrew, mm-hmm. uh, with Adriana Leon, 
Like yeah. you guys aren't getting those standards, so don't fucking ask for them. Like we yeah. don't have you have to know what country you are. You have to know what country. So you're that, like Croatia, Croatia's yeah. training stuff isn't the same as England's. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. we're Luka Modric isn't complaining about that, right? So like we mm-hmm. have to understand like what our restraints are, and if it's mm-hmm. too big of a stretch to get there for mm-hmm. the women or the men, then you can't do it. Then you can't if you can't do it for one of them, you can't do it for both. So let's yeah. let's mm-hmm. make sure we understand what the standard is. What's the bare minimum mm-hmm. that both get? And like, that is so fundamental though. Like yeah. that's fundamental. And the bigger issue is that that's not like that. We're talking about these with our senior national teams. What the fuck are we doing with the youth ones? Oh, are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah. Oh my well, God. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, I, <laughs> I've, had, I've, I've heard it from youth national team players this past year going, yeah. I didn't, I didn't meet my teammates till a week before the, the tournament. Four days before the week, tournament. A week yeah, before. Yeah, I, mean, I had someone who was yeah. coaching going, we didn't even have our kit until we got down there. And even then yeah. we were so we had, we were short. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and so, so like, like at some point, you know, again, um, if we expect to be competitive an investment, a, 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 a standard needs to be set. It's not being set. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been a while since I worked with youth national teams. It's been almost you know, 10 years or so, but what I can tell you is, I don't think it's changed much. Here's here's a good, you know, anecdote that so the coaches are are are, are basically paid only for the days that they're away, okay? Mm-hmm. And they're away for a 10-day camp, a mm-hmm. 25-day camp, whatever, right? So, mm-hmm. and you're not paid, you know, it's maybe $150 a day, maybe $200 mm-hmm. a day, like this is not a living wage mm-hmm. if you add up mm-hmm. all the days and it's not even close. So what does that mean? Mm-hmm. That means that you have to have a, another job mm-hmm. that pays the bills. But you still have to tell that job, oh, in March, I'm going to be gone for 10 days. And you know, I was able to do it because I had my business, but I sacrificed my business to do it. The other mm-hmm. coaches, a lot of them, you know, they, they were a college coach or something. And they were because the college saw the value and the coach, you know, one guy was mm-hmm. with the Montreal Impact Academy. But like we were forced as coaches to scramble just to make ends meet. We never were able to give it our all mm-hmm. because we weren't full time. Yeah, and I, I honestly, guys, I, you, you don't you don't want to know what I was paid with TFC, Ottawa Fury, all that. It's they, they, like at some point, what happens is people, myself, I can use myself as an example, but you know, there's dozens of others. You get a little older, you have a family, you get, you know, and, and then, and then you, you stop doing this work. We get not even fed up. Fed up is part of it, mm-hmm. but you can't. You literally yeah. cannot. Like I, you know, I, I can't. When I was single, you, you know, I, I, I literally, I, I hired a manager in my business. And I moved to Ottawa mm-hmm. and I worked for $30,000 with the Ottawa period. Fine. You can do those things when you're younger and when you're single, mm-hmm. you can't do that when you have to support a family. So what mm-hmm. happens? The, the smarter, older, more experienced coaches leave and they go and hire people that are inexperienced and, you know, and Incompetent. the cycle yeah, and that's, that's just yeah, on the coaching side. It's just and, vicious. And, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. vicious. Like, and, and again, that comes down to investment, man. Like that's, yeah. That's the part of me that really finds it hard to sit there and stomach it as a fan. Cause again, from the fan perspective, we're the reason that all this is happening. Like yeah. the reason CSB came in Rogers and Tyler on TV, cause it wouldn't sell like, and that's mm-hmm. both men's and the women's. And that comes down to the fans. We're the ones who weren't willing to tune in and take time out of our day or pay for it. Like that's on us. That's not mm-hmm. on the players. That's on us. Mm-mm. Like we weren't willing to do it. So those companies who are in the business of making money, we're not willing to invest because we can't sell the ad space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So like, it's this, it's this vicious, vicious cycle. And now that we have someone who's coming in and invest and now yeah. we want to kick them out. I know, I know, like, I know. Yeah, no, like, you can't, one, yeah, you no, can't no, have yeah, it both yeah. ways. And the problem is, and again, I think the bigger problem is that we're looking at the situation as it is now and going, yeah. it should be here. It's fucking not. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We have, to, and again, this is the thing. We have a new president. Great. She's been on the board how long? A long so, time. I mean, she was, like she's a little bit entrenched been in what's been going on. Number one, but number two, yeah. I also think she's as as far as people who understand the situation, she clearly understands the situation, which is great. Yeah, she's, like she's, you, you, you need someone who's probably got their hands a little person. bit. Yeah, yeah. Like you do to understand. Again, I want someone who knows how to run a fucking business. Like I, I like mm-hmm. not someone who's never done it before, has no idea. But hey, they're an ex national team player. I don't want them in there. Like you need someone who who understands what the problem is. But from mm-hmm. the inside, like you actually do, unfortunately. But like, but think you about need it. Someone think... to fix the foundation, like yeah. a new th- president. Think that's, about it. That's painting a crack. But think about it like this: It's like you don't you don't hire a plumber to do your taxes. So like, why would you <laughs> hire some? Like, why would you hire some? If you're talking about money, if the issue is money, why would you hire ex national team player to try to fix the situation that has to do with money? Where's the lawyers? Where's the accountants? Where's like that's why like when well, they cost more money. For, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why, that's why when Christine Sinclair and those girls are those women were asking for like the papers like to show like uh receipts and all that stuff. It's like, yeah, where is the money going? You guys are saying you have no money. Okay, fair enough. You have no money, so but where is the money going? But if yeah. you hire people that are not specific to those tasks, uh, yeah, you might have to spend more money, but like you'll always have an ongoing issue. Unless this the CSA don't care about the ongoing issue, then that's because this is going to be a conversation that's forever going to keep going. But my thing is like, we have players that now that are playing in Europe and they come from a, a specific standard. And then we have a talk in Canada soccer saying like, Oh, we have players here, 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 here. But when they come back, I'm not saying the players that play from in uh, um, PSG and those stuff and places, and they go back to like Argentina or they go back to Colombia, Bolivia, whatever, they have better facilities or than their club teams. But they're held to a specific standard as well. They know what they're getting into. And because I think Canada is like, okay, because those guys are consistently at those top clubs, when they come to Canada and it's only for a 10-day period, like, oh, they can manage it for a 10-day period. So they don't have to change anything. But whereas Argentina, where Argentina, I watched a documentary of Argentina, the Copa America, they spent like a month and a half with each other at the Argentina facility, playing futsal, playing, doing all these different things. Because they had the resources to do it. I'm not saying they had the best. Like, you see the field. The field's not the best field. But they're happy to be together. They know who's who they're going to be playing with for, for a month before. They build camaraderie and all that stuff. Those are the tangibles that a lot of people don't know that can benefit a national team. And there's no reason for a team like a country like Argentina who went bankrupt in 2001. Filed for bankruptcy. Don't get me wrong. Yes, they have better players historically. But... They don't have more money than Canada in general, so it's like, what, like, what's yeah. going on here? There's, I want some, some, something's being something's being lost. I want to comment about again my time in Uruguay, and, and they're a very interesting case study. As is Portugal and Croatia. Mm-hmm. You know, Uruguay. You know, they're situated right between Brazil and Argentina, and they have a very small population, mm-hmm. but they're very successful. I mean, it's been a while since they won a World Cup, but they did win World yeah. Cups, and mm-hmm. they've been successful in the Copa America. They have very mm-hmm very good coaches that even work mm-hmm. in other countries and some top top players 
So it was really, and it's, it's a poor country. It's a small, poor country. Mm -hmm. Okay. So professionalism, professionalism doesn't just mean money. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because I, I mean, I don't know, Kwame, if you see the picture on my facility there, but on the wall, like I, I was with the second division club, fair enough. Some of the first mm -hmm. division clubs have nicer fields and stuff, but we trained on a field that barely, it wasn't even grass. Honestly, mm -hmm. it was like half grass, half dirt, whatever. Okay. Um, you know, we had an equipment manager who was a guy that owned a bar uh, near the stadium and, and uh, his son was on the team. I mean, it's all this kind of stuff that, you mm -hmm. know, he, he used to go to a gas station before every practice and buy two big jugs of water and, you know, and plastic mm -hmm. cups. And this was, this was it. We had cones and mm -hmm. balls and nothing else. So, so, but, but professionalism is about, first of all, you know, that the, the, the coaches again are competent are well-trained that the players live in a professional way that they're not caught or spoiled. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, because I worked with the, with the club, with the first team, but also with the academy. And this was really interesting because it was literally right after I had worked with the TFC academy. Mm -hmm. And they've got lots of money at TFC. But mm -hmm. the players there are treated like superstars from the time that they're 13 years old and they get identified. They come to the academy, mm -hmm. they get free food from a gourmet chef. Mm -hmm. Free boots. They finish training, they take their clothes off and they put it in a laundry basket and someone else does their laundry. These are 13, 14-year-olds. Mm -hmm. They've mm -hmm. accomplished nothing in football. That's crazy. Right? I used to bring my dirty clothes yep. home and have to do laundry myself. <laughs> okay. And in Uruguay, <laughs> you go, you, they give you a T-shirt at the beginning of the year and that's your T-shirt and you wash it yourself. You don't have any uh, status or entitlement or, you know, and again, these are little things, but, but they add up, Okay. To me, the, the professionalism in a poor country like Uruguay mm -hmm. was much better than in a wealthy country like Canada. We don't have as much investment as the United States. Fair enough. We don't have as much investment as some of these big European nations. Yes, that's true. We don't. Mm -hmm. But in our own region, if you take the United States out of it and Mexico, we have a much better funded national team program than any of the other CONCACAF mm -hmm. countries. And it isn't even close. And again, I'm comparing to Uruguay, do you think, which is a different place. Do you, yeah. do you think that, that comes down to uh, do you think that comes down to culture? Yes. So like from that perspective, like again, yes. like if you look at again, okay, we don't have the investment. Yeah. We also don't have the population that the US has. Like the US has yeah. got away with it because of population, let's be yeah. real. Yeah. But if you look at those other countries, like say take the French and the UK, like what their you what their PSG's youth team does, they ain't doing their laundry either. But it's almost like, well we're on the same bait like we're on the same level as them from a societal standpoint so we have to treat mm -hmm. them the same way where it's almost like from the from the cultural side of it from a yeah. footballing perspective we're not even fucking close but we're going to yeah. treat you like you're at that level because from a societal mm -hmm. standpoint we have to so we haven't actually developed the culture to get a club to that level like 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 mm -hmm. we said the, the three mls clubs are beneficiaries of u.s soccer yeah mm -hmm. like yeah. that's why they have those those things yeah mm -hmm. but if you look at like, like and again like people wonder what how are, how can uruguay do it go down there and watch yeah. mm -hmm. like so, how so, can argentina do it go, all these kids they grow up with the best pitches possible they're mm -hmm. pristine all the turf fields now they're all pristine they're all in, wait we have to put on grass oh there's some dirt what about gravel i grew up training on gravel mm -hmm. no complaints about it never mm -hmm. once complained you, you don't have a you, you you complain when you're given an opportunity to complain and when mm -hmm. the complaints that you make are responded to so you know again it goes back to the kind of the, the coddling and all that but you said culture absolutely so 
back to soccernomics, and again, it's just again, these are not my ideas, but I'm just 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 repeating them. But in the national team uh, uh, environment, um, you know, they've got a, a very good statistical model that that it, that it, I mean, it's able to predict. It depends on, on on the factors, but like they can predict maybe 50, 60 percent of, of of the variance in the performance of national teams based on mm -hmm. population, gross domestic product, the strength mm -hmm. of the economy, and football experience which is the number of international games that the national teams have played. So Argentina, Uruguay, and South America had an advantage because they had a national federation very early. England had a huge mm -hmm. advantage initially, and eventually even Italy, France, and, you know, right? Mm -hmm. Other countries have, have caught up, and, you know, Brazil overtook. But, you know, why did Brazil overtake some of the other countries? Perhaps population. Mm -hmm. you know, because they, they had all the, you know, the, the, the football crazy people just like Argentina mm. and all that but they have you know more more population the United States has probably overperformed based on their population because mm -hmm. they don't have the culture and the experience and mm -hmm. all that so so but but I almost think you know if we take those three factors out which are population GDP and football experience culture it's hard to quantify it you know mm -hmm. but we kind of know it when we see it you know mm -hmm. and, uh, and and we don't have that here so uh, yeah, I, I, well, that was, that was kind of like when I, the Suarez biting incidents. Yeah, where you're like, the, yeah. how can you do that? <laughs> or the handball? Because he wants, to, right? he the, wants yeah. to fucking win that badly. Because if yeah. he doesn't, he's still in Uruguay. He doesn't yeah. get out. Like yeah. that's and yeah. but it wasn't like his. In order for him, and that's the other side that again, Kwame knows this now. But I went through this when I went on trial in England and stuff. Was yeah. because he got out, someone else didn't. Someone else got <laughs> stuck there. Yeah. Yeah. Like he took someone else's job and they understand that. A hundred percent. And I think that's what, and when I got to, New, I think that's when I got to New York city FC, I realized like, it's a, it's a dog eat dog world. Like, yeah, you're trying to win something together, but it, it definitely, you're taking money out of someone else's pocket who they have to fend for their family. Yeah. This is MLS, but for a team like New York, we had a lot of guys that came from Europe, a lot of right. European guys, a lot of South American guys probably had like six, seven North American guys out of a 28-man roster. Right. So everyone else either didn't speak English or came from a high level where, like, this is all they know. This is all they've done for their whole life. Um, the one thing that I, I like essentially was that, like, when you were talking about, what was it? Um, like, how... Uh, Canada and France and stuff like that. It was, I think we're forgetting about the competitive aspect of it as well. I mean, yeah, the and it, it stems from culture as well because they're, you don't, the taxes and social, everything is like, you worry about the same things in those countries that you worry about in Canada. Of course. Like uh, cost uh, of living, taxes, all that stuff. It's, it's a Western country, right? It's yeah, a, it's a Western country. Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah. but when you, when you come get down to it, we don't have, we're not, they're not bombarded with sports that like the NBA, NFL, like, you know, like football, football, American football, basketball, like, don't get me wrong. They played in those countries, but soccer is their primary sport or national sport. Yeah. So like when they get to 16, they either decide to go to school or try to continue on with the soccer, soccer thing here, obviously because of the weather and the, the stream snowfall and stuff like that, like, we are forced to do something else. Luckily enough for me, like growing up, we had like indoor soccer leagues, we had futsal and all that stuff. So we're playing soccer year round, but it's not the consistent 11 v 11 that some yeah. of those countries are playing at a 24 seven basis. Then when you add the coaching on top of it, 
And like, there's just so much that's piled on top of it that yeah. just puts us at at a way far back. Even though we're improving, like like you said, at the same rate, uh, those guys improving, we're all getting the same technology, but we've been held back for so long with incompetent coaching and incompetent leadership at the highest level that like now that we have guys like Alfonso Davies, like we should have an, an Alfonso, we had Alfonso, guys like Alfonso Davies, but we didn't have coaches to develop a guy like Alfonso Davies. Like Dwayne DiRosario wasn't no scrub. But no, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't yeah. give him the fastest a sprinter no i'm not saying that i'm not i'm not saying physical aspect i'm saying soccer just soccer we, 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 I, I think maybe you're trying to say we had talent yeah it wasn't developed uh, yeah it wasn't it wasn't refined yeah, right it yeah, wasn't refined yeah, yeah. it was exactly like stuff like that yeah like like, yeah. like those other like those other atiba hutchinson like he had to leave you know what i mean so like those guys go exp- and like you cannot get mad at players especially on the women's side for them going to these big clubs where you want them no, to be, where they, they where have it makes, to, no, they, not, have, they to. have to be. But hold on, hold on. Yeah, where they have to be, and then when they come back and they're asking you to meet those standards because these are the standards of yeah. the best in the world, and then you're looking at them like, ah, yeah, about that. It's like you're using you're you basically you're using me for what I've done, where I've been, and all that stuff, but you can't even meet me at the standard that helps me perform at this level, and I think that is the. Uh, like don't like predominant issue yeah I, and i think honestly like like it, it, there's nothing wrong with our if we have our most talented players and they are capable of playing in the best leagues in the world like alfonso davies go great mm-hmm. but we need to try to raise our standard too Here. because there's yeah. only so many of them that can go and so many you know not all clubs want canadians anyway they're you know yeah they're not a hundred percent we're not a we're not a real you know <laughs> Yeah. popular but, nation uh, to take talent from you know so, yeah. Yeah. yeah interestingly too like i wonder if this is this is kind of a flip side of it because at the youth level too right like i think one thing I, and Kwame, you touched on it based on competitiveness and how competitive mm-hmm. it is if man united have a kid who's been in their academy since he was 12 years old he's now 18 yeah. and they see a kid who's better they'll cut him yeah they did that to jack harrison but he got yeah. one he had to come but, here and go to mls right exactly that doesn't happen at the white caps tfc or montreal they don't go out and watch and if there's a kid better they they know we're gonna be loyal are you fucking kidding me you guys we're not expecting like a there's no such thing b you cannot bat a thousand you can't pick a kid at 12 and nobody's gonna be like you can't you don't he's a 12 year old you don't know he's gonna be like tomorrow Never yep. mind. It takes a lot. Of, takes like, a lot of opportunities away. So and then you look at some guys that were in TFC Academy. You're like, what happened to these guys? They were in TFC Academy, not getting any better, and it took away opportunities from guys that you're like, damn. Like, look at guys like me, Richie, Kyle, Larry. Like, we never. Kamal. We like Kamal. Like, we never got like those guys. We never got national team opportunities until we got hit the pros. We didn't get yeah. no youth national team. Yeah. We didn't get like they had to. And I'm gonna tell you a story because. And I know Rob Gale, I don't know if he listens or anything like that, but this was absolutely insane. I went to UConn with Kyle. His his soft, his freshman year, he was he was uh considered going top three in the draft generation Adidas. 14 goals, three assists, didn't go. His second year, he got his national team, um, first national team cap against Columbia in in Hartford. And he didn't he didn't have the the same year. He had what 10 goals, two assists, but at the same time. Because of 24 goals in two seasons in college is, is a big deal, especially at that time. Um, he goes number one. They weren't even going to call him to the uh, U20 uh, qualifications. They had to call him because 
it it wouldn't have made any sense to anyone in the public eye as to why Kyle Lahren, the number one draft pick going to Orlando City, Generation Adidas, was not on the U20 national team. And he didn't start. So yeah, like, it's stuff fucking like insane. That, well, it's so, insane. It doesn't co- make any sense. Like, yep. There's so many guys that were on that yeah. team that fell off. Coach education and coach development, uh, uh, a, a branch off of that is scouting. And honestly, because like, I've been through it, we have, I might say we have the, the worst scouting here that I've ever seen. I, there's, there's not, I, I mean, so it, it, it is, it is uh, nepotism. Well, you're a, yeah. and, 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 and on top of that, there's all of these players that go under the radar. Here's just a simple one from my wheelhouse, which is developmental age. Now, kids, we all know, don't develop at the same rate. 14-year-old teams, you know, there's bigger, smaller, whatever. You can, and it's a free test. It's not expensive. It's nothing. All you need to do is measure the player's height standing, height sitting. You need to know the height of the chair they're sitting on. And you need to know their weight and their sex, male or female. And with that information, there's a simple algorithm where you can calculate their developmental age. And you could then do that with all academies, TFC, all of them even the the amateur clubs and you could within each of those teams you could group them according to developmental age rather than chronicle age uh, chronological age and if you did that you would find that typically there's a range of about three years everybody's 14 but some developmentally are only 12 and some developmentally are 15 when i was 14 i was definitely 12 right yeah no no but but (laughs) it is it's 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 a common knowledge (laughs) right so you talk about scouting and player identification nobody in Canada, not in the youth national teams, not in the MLS academies, and nowhere near in any of the clubs is doing any of this. I no, teach it in my course. I did it when I was at TFC and before that with the provincial program. And I've been talking about it, honestly, since I'm blue in the face. People, again, we don't even have the people in charge here in Ontario that even understand it. So it's there is they no can't way it's identify ever... it. Shit, That's they right. can select it. It's talent selection. Oh yeah, and, and 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 guys, creation. honestly, like can't... everyone, yeah, like everyone knows uh, that Messi is the best player, and we watch and we can pick him out. That's easy, mm-hmm. Christine mm-hmm. Sinclair, easy. But that's not what scouting is. Scouting mm-hmm. is making decisions between players that are very similar. Mm-hmm. One's a little quicker, but the other is better with crossing, finish, you know, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like these are things that require. You know, a, a very uh, analytical mind, which is developed mm-hmm. again in coach licensing and in in a culture where there are clubs that have a history that have that that know what they're doing about scouting, that teach others how to do it. They have a system. Guys, we have nothing. You know how you get into the, the the provincial program? It's trust uh, me. Oh, hey, hey, also, hey, hey bro, hey bro, uh, you got to see my player. He's the best. Oh, okay, bro. Okay, that's how it happens. Yes, it is. It's word of mouth. It's a hundred percent word of mouth. I and used to be when I first got to the based on team, three programs. Yeah. yeah. That's what it is. When I got to the provincial team, obviously, I don't know how it is in BC, but obviously Ontario has a bigger population, especially the GTA. It's a melting yeah. pot. But when I got to provincial team my first year, they invite 55 players. Out of all the players that I played with at Sigma, Richie was there. Uh, Kyle was there. Chris Nanko was there. None of them got. I was the only one that got selected, and I knew yeah. in my heart of hearts I was never the best player on any any of the teams that I played on. But I'm like, why did I get selected? So I felt like it was a big thing my first year. But then I'm playing with guys. Ego, the coaching staff is like, oh, I'm pushing this guy more forward than this guy. Rob, 
And then, like, uh, we go to, like, tournaments, stuff like that. I get injured my first year. And then my second year, I just quit the provincial program. I'm like, I don't think I'm getting better as a player. So from a young age, I knew already, like, what I wanted and what I wanted to get better at. Shout out to Canadian SC Uruguay, Toronto Uruguay. <laughs> Growing up and playing with them when you played in football. That's the club like I worked with, by the way. Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, you know well, that, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like, I used to go to the club that, that they had. Like, they had their own club where they had all the trophies, Spanish yeah, trophies. Yeah, yeah. I, I know that. I know it very well. So, like, yeah. going from there, developing at a really young age, like six, seven, and I was playing with, like, Richie, Christian, San Diego, all those guys. Then you go to Provincial. Then you realize, like, this is not the type of football that I want to be playing. Physically, I was I was at the same level, but we weren't getting better. We were literally just dominating games. Like we went to Spain, and we got except for we got destroyed. We played against Villarreal. We they were we they balled us off the field, but we won three nothing. Why? We sat back and counterattacked. Yeah, we didn't right. get yeah. anything from that game. We yeah. played against Catalonia, and we got destroyed three one. And it was like when we had met someone at at our match physically, like we didn't know how to handle it. So then as I got older, 15, 16, and I went back to Sigma, I was like, there's a big difference between what I was getting at provincial team and the the high class or the appreciation. Oh, my God, you're on the provincial team. stuff. I'm like, I didn't really status. care because, yeah, yeah the status, status like, because mm-hmm. really then once I left, I felt myself actually getting better as a player. And the guys that were on the provincial team, I can tell you a lot of guys that are on the provincial team now, either went somewhere and fell off or are, we're back at the same place that I was at. So our, our paths were different, but because they had status and then obviously going into the, um, going into college was a, was a frowned upon uh, when it came, when it came to um, those guys are going to TFC Academy and I was a Sigma and I went yeah. to uh, yeah. university. So like, just looking at that, it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't like the developmental side is de- definitely different. Who would have thought certain guys that, are playing right now would it would it be playing in the world cup where you thought when you were like 14 15 like yeah this guy's the best player i've ever seen and then you see them now and you're at a higher level and then you're like what in our time frames what changed sometimes it could be something personal but like what soccer specifically what changed like what did i do that got me and sometimes it, it is luck but what got me here and what slowed him down what got him from I can use Frazier Aird, for example, gone from Rangers, Canadian national team, all the way back to CPO at Calvary or at yeah. Edmonton. You know what I yeah. mean? So like I'm just I'm just looking at it in, in those ways. And you're right, development, the, the development side, like some people don't develop at the same rate. And it's not unfortunate, it's just a matter of yeah. do you have coaches coaches that are there that are gonna be like, okay, right. I can see the potential in this guy, but how do I get it? How do I bring it out of him the most? The irony of all this is that the league in Ontario is called the Player Development League. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's it's, it's uh, crazy, and that's and, and that's why and that's why, that's why provincial is obsolete now. We all realize it's like, okay, that's that's some BS. Like, I don't need that status, and especially at those critical ages, like thirteen to seventeen, where like. You're really learning the game. You're learning to start film. You're learning to g- do gym sessions. You're learning the importance how to be a pro. All that yeah. stuff. Like the provincial program. Don't get me wrong. It they gave us the resources, but they were just like here. 
Yeah. Go play and with like, yeah. It's like, yeah, the thing that bothers me too is like, I used to, I like, I listened to so many stories. Like, I was lucky enough to go to SFU. And mm-hmm. when my, when, like, when I was very, 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 very young, and when my dad was going, when he was a pro and stuff, like, we were lucky in BC, the fact that Leonard Doozy lived in BC. So the national program was in BC, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what they used to have is they used to have like the old NTC and provincial program. It was, you got invited weekly. It wasn't, mm-hmm. hey, you signed with the provincial team. You're coming with us for six months. It was, you had to wait and you might not get emailed some weeks or called yeah. some weeks. And then you'd get it other weeks. And they'd always invite them up to SFU. You'd play against national team guys who, who are in the national team pool. But they'd bring in guys constantly different, like throughout a, throughout a year or two. And that's how they created national team pools. And you're mm-hmm. kind of sitting there just going, how? Like that is that just seems so basic and so simple. Why did we go away from that? Like, that's just an easy way to do it. But that requires uh, time and actually putting an effort and effort, going, and, watching and going yeah. to do those things. And yeah. why would you do that when, well, I work for the Whitecaps or TFC or Montreal and we have a higher standard. So you should yeah. just pick our players. Yeah. Exactly. And by the way, we all play the exact same way. Because <laughs> we're all managed. There's no, the there's no variety. So no, like, yeah, none. when I went, yeah, when I went to the provincial team, I had Jim Canavan. I don't know where he is right now. And Ian Skidge. Jim Canavan was like, some he came from like Everton or I don't know there was like some big story with Everton whatever and he played the football the big English way the old school English way old four Sam. four two big old Sam, Sam like four four two play, played into the target lay it off whip it out wide like wing backs like wingers cross it early crosses you know what I mean like he didn't like guys that were flair players yeah so whenever whenever I I was someone I came from the Spanish league. But because I had the physical aspect as well, he was like, "Hey, and you're left footed. There's not that many left footers in the world like that." So it's like, "Hey, this is I can't. I can if I can make him do the physical demanding stuff. All right. But if I was to like do like a skill move or like dribble a guy and like play one twos, that was not what he wanted. He wanted me to go go at a guy, cut left, whip it in. And I was like, it just became robotic. And then when I got to the first camp that me and Kyle got to the U20s. I get into a meeting room with um, Rob Gill. He goes like, oh, so how are you? Like, how is everything at UConn? I got all NCAA, all rookie team, me and Kyle. We went to the semifinals, uh, oh, the quarterfinals at NCAA tournament. Kyle was projected to go number one. And it was, he goes, yeah. He's like, how's your fitness? I mean, I'm like, <laughs> we, we. I, I go, I mean, I just left a college season where I just finished doing a yo-yo test and and after that it was like um he was like oh, okay all right sounds good he's like by the way it might be tough for you to make the team if you're not like playing at a professional academy I'm like so why'd you call me into yeah, the, yeah. The camp? <laughs> you waste like, don't waste time? don't waste time yeah, yeah don't waste yeah. my time so yeah. it was one of those but yeah i know you want to head uh head out soon um Oh, this yeah. has been a very. This has been a very. Yeah, I, now, this has been a very, very, very acknowledging night. We definitely else, probably have to do a part two. 100%. Yeah, or else we're gonna have a glass of wine or something. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Nah, nah, hundred percent. But like, before you go, questions. I wanna actually three. Uh, is there anyone? Are are you like currently mentoring other people who have the same aspirations as you? Yeah. Who are your favorite type of athletes to work with, and what is going to get Italy back into the World Cup? I know we got to talk about that. Okay, so expanded uh, pool. 
Got it. Well, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Notwithstanding, you know, moving the goalposts, making the goal wider. Uh, okay. So, um, yes, I, I mean, I, I'm a I'm a professor now, and, and and also in my business, you know, we we have all of our you know our staff are younger kind of kinesiology graduates and all that. So so I, I don't know that there's like one person specifically that I'm mentoring more than others, but I mm. I, I, I really like it. I, I I'm involved like like I re, I really enjoy a lot, especially my work as a professor because you know th- there's so many of the students that, that that I see a little bit of myself in them. You know, like I, I a lot of people study kinesiology initially because you know like me they're an athlete they're not quite sure so they kind of you know it's like it's a nice uh, program and it's interesting but they don't know what they want to do and so there, there's quite a few that that I do have the, the honor and the privilege to mentor and, and it's really great it's really rewarding um you know we'll see if anybody you know we do have some good young uh, uh, strength and conditioning coaches that work in our facility too i know you met a few mm-hmm. of them uh, Kwame as well and, mm-hmm. you know so there's there's some good ones um you said the the players that i've worked with right so the, the, mm-hmm. so okay so i i am i'm always a little bit partial to 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 players that uh, i guess are are maybe have they're better than me, but, but, but they have maybe something that kind of I had, which is, which is a really, a really good work ethic and, and, mm-hmm. and are a little bit like humble in that sense that, that, that like I, whatever I did get to level I got to. And as a player, I was, I, you know, I was usually the least talented. And so I had to work harder than everybody. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the reasons that led me into doing this work as a career was because I saw how, you know, how you could take a, someone who's kind of average and maybe, you know, become a, a good player simply mm-hmm. by, by outworking everybody else. So, so those are the ones that I'm partial to. Uh, but, but I also, as a coach and everything, I recognize that it's, it's really nice to find players that, that have a good work ethic, but also have that little special kind of uh, tactical knowledge and game mm-hmm. IQ. I think it, you know, if you have that, if you have a good work ethic and game IQ, you can even get away with not being a great athlete. And so that's, mm-hmm. that's what I would say there. Finally, Italy. So... Here's what I got to say, guys. It's not my idea. It's soccernomics, right? But you got to take a more analytical uh, approach to this, okay? It, Italy not qualifying for the World Cup even twice. Guys, it's still an anomaly if you look at historically how successful the country has been and specifically how successful they've been relative to those three metrics, which are population, GDP, and football experience. In between not getting, uh, not getting to the World Cup, Italy won the Euro. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and you know there was also a uh, 2012 final appearance in the Euro. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there was a World Cup win in 2006, and there was a, mm-hmm. a knockout stage, I think, in the quarterfinal of the Euro in 2016. So, mm-hmm. you need a larger sample size. <laughs> I, yeah. Honestly, I, if anything, what hurts Italy a little bit is, um, I think, maybe just that they haven't. Um, as opposed to, let's say, England and maybe Spain and Germany, I'm not so sure that Italy has put the same level of priority on their own national team players. Sometimes mm-hmm. their national team players have to take a back seat in the big clubs to foreign stars. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's always a bad thing, but perhaps maybe relative to some of the other top European nations, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're a little bit behind in that sense. But I mm-hmm. let's look at the bigger picture and i'm not as concerned mm. i'm an italian i love to see them win all the time for sure but mm. you know, i'm not as concerned yeah well one thing <laughs> that i would say for that i think like the key difference that i that i noticed and i think this is just this is almost being a culprit of modern football is that before like when italy went to that if you look at all of those all that tournament success 
They played the same way in every single yeah. every single major tournament. You know exactly what you're gonna get. Yeah, they're yeah. gonna be so fucking hard to play against. They're not gonna break them down. You get one or two chances, maybe. Like mm. they can't like they if they go mm. through qualifying like that, they get hammered by the media because they're supposed to be better. Why don't they play like England? Why don't they play like Spain and Germany? And so it's not conducive to how they win tournaments and do it's, well. You're in right. Tournaments. And it's funny that that uh, again um, the the World Cup of oh boy was it 2014 mm. i think that was the game where italy played england in the, in the group matches and, and, and they had a very high number of passes connected they called it tiki talia you know it was sort of yeah. like <laughs> and it was like you know this is not exactly how we're used to seeing the italian team play and you know in the end mm-hmm. they couldn't sustain it but uh you know the, the, I, they've had moments I, I thought they were quite good in euro 2016 as well i really like mm-hmm. uh, under uh country mm-hmm. uh, uh but yeah. um anyway yeah, like you we'll said, see. broad, broad. Def, definitely a broad view. I was gonna, yeah. I was gonna say that during their early two thousands to two thousand and twelve, you can see their success as well because of their league. The yeah, Italian yeah, Serie A was yeah, one of the yeah. best leagues the in the world. League, right? now, yeah. yeah, that was a top league. That's where all the yeah. superstars are. The Brazilians, yeah. all the all the top Italians are playing there. Yeah. El Piero, Pirlo, all those guys are all playing there. And yes. because you're playing against the top t- competition all the time, that's what made that's what helped them. Uh, build their national team as well, but I don't think Italy is done. I just think that the qualification, the Northern Macedonia, that's a like ninety nine yeah. out of hundred times Italy yeah. wins that game. You that's know what I said. Mean? It's, so an it's, anomaly. Not, it's an yeah, anomaly. It's an anomaly. It's an anomaly. Hundred percent. But when, yeah. when, but when, when you look at it in the past, like 15, 20 years, hundred percent Italy has been have been bosses. Even the tournaments that they, sh- I think they shouldn't even have gone to the finals. That they gone to the finals is because of their discipline and how they play. Like the t- two thousand and 12 euro final when they played spain lost to spain in the final that was that was a generation of spain that like no one was beating <laughs> so it's yeah. like yeah and, but and, yeah. even italy italy going to the final with cassano and balotelli is like wow like right. compared to all the other european teams so yeah i mean shout it shout it out to italy hopefully <laughs> hopefully they make it back to the, the the top ranks but they're still what top are they still considered what top 10 top 15 in the world oh yeah they're they're up there yeah. i mean i will see so. i, I, I I don't think they're going to have uh, more disappointment like that. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just that the Toronto, Italia, um, and <laughs> or Italy versus Portugal on St. Clair beef that kind of hypes up the whole. Yeah. The yeah. whole show. I remember Portugal Adam, is overperforming. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hundred yeah, yeah. percent. Hey, see, yeah. look at it. See, it's, you got to see it in person, Adam, bro. The, the Italy versus Portugal is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but thank you so much. This has been episode twelve of Top Mid Talks presented by. FTF Canada. I am your host with my co-host Adam Adam Jones. I'm Kwame Awa. Thank you, Richard, once again. I know we kept you on for a long time, but this is definitely information that that a lot of people don't know and they should know. I mean, this is the other side of football uh, outside of the X's and O's that people should definitely get keep in tune with. And um, thank you again, man. I appreciate you as always. Oh, you're welcome, and it's my pleasure. Thank you guys so much for you know for having me on, and, and I, I love to talk football out, you know, as you can see, for two hours, you know, without without a yeah. break, and no problem. And uh, if you'd like to have me on in the future again, it'd be my be my, my pleasure as well. And it's always good to see you, Mommy. Just you yeah. know, come back in uh, in your off season again. You know, we'll we'll be happy to make you run. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, yeah. I'll, I'll come over too we'll strap a gopro to me and see how long let's it do it let's do it absolutely <laughs> hey yo it's hard man it's hard oh of course <laughs> it is it's hard the sprints on that treadmill wow yeah it's hard 
But yeah, thank you again, man. I appreciate you. Okay, thanks, guys. All right. No problem. Have, Have a good, good one. Bye bye.